Hello and welcome back to a special episode of the What The Fork Sunland Preview Show. It's not often we do previews for midweek games as the time simply doesn't allow, but it's not often that we do get to the quarterfinals of the League Cup and it's been some while since we played Arsenal, if we're completely honest. However, most importantly, it's not often we get a Sky Sports legend on the show either. No, it's not Tom White, don't worry. It's even bigger legend, Julian Waters, <laughs> who joins today to chat about his beloved Arsenal. Julian, unprecedented times, but let's forget COVID isn't a thing. How are you? Are you all right? Very good, Graham. Yeah, thank you very much for having me on. Um, but as I said in the intro, you know, some viewers may not be aware, um, but you're, of course, an Arsenal fan. Uh, for those unaware, how did you come to support Arsenal? Well, I am quite old, you see, Graham. So my <laughs> my memory is of Arsenal winning the FA Cup in 1971 um, against Liverpool in what was a, a famous game, although I was too young to realise it at the time. But I did watch it on the telly, you know, one of those rare games they had on the telly in those days. And... Um, that was me uh, captivated at my very young age then. And they got back to the final the following year and lost to Leeds. And um, I remember, I'm, you know, because I was only six or whatever, I remember being really fed up they'd lost. Um, and so I think that, that was it from then on. And then the, the 70s were fairly miserable from an Arsenal point of view. The mid-70s, in fact, they were nearly relegated a couple of times. Um, and, you know, when you're at school and... You know, everyone's taking the mickey out of you. You come in on a Monday because you've had a bad result of the weekend. You may be familiar with that feeling. I don't know, Graham. But, yes, I am. You know, you know. So I managed to stick with them through that, and, and then um, you know things perked up after that. And uh, you know, when you get a bit older, you're able to go a bit more and all the rest of it. So yeah, it's it's, it's been part of my life ever since. I was going to say at least it paid off for you. It hasn't paid off for me yet. All that driving oh, no. at school. You're stuck with it, aren't you? Sadly, I am. Sadly, yeah. I am. Um, you mentioned that you were old. I'm feeling that way as well, because my first ever away game was, was Highbury in 96 and also been to the Emirates numerous times. But it, it does feel like a long, long time since there was there for a league fixture or anything competitive. And, and last time Sunderland were there, I think Wenger had just left. It was Emery's first season. There was a lot of noise around Wenger going, saying he couldn't get them past fourth and his time was up. Things have changed a bit. But in a small segment, how do you sum up the the post-Wenger era at Arsenal since we last played you. <laughs> How long have you got? Uh, we'll go for half an hour, why not? <laughs> uh, well, the, what was clear was when he left that it was, you know, it was time for him to go. He didn't want to go. It was all rather forced on him and that was bad. They should have, they should have finessed that rather better. Uh, he should have been allowed to leave on his own terms. So obviously he didn't really want to leave at all. Um, and what you know is clear is that when the legacy manager goes, the club has a tough time. You know, if you get back to Nottingham Forest and Brian Clough, obviously he stayed on too long, but was still successful. They were still winning league cups very late on in his reign at, at Forest. You know, you think the size Forest are as a club for them to be picking up cups like they were and competing at the top end of what was the you know before the Premier League, the first division which they still were, they weren't winning it, but they were towards the top end, you know, and then what happened to them subsequently, as soon as he went, I mean, it was just obviously desperately difficult. And then you see what happened to Manchester United after uh, Ferguson went, um, you know, you see how difficult it is. So you, you, you take the king pin out and Wenger was the king pin and was involved in everything. And, what are you kind of left with? Uh, it's really, really difficult. So they, they went for this structure where you didn't have a manager anymore. You brought in a head coach, which was Unai Emery, and he was happy coming in as a head coach. But you had this executive structure over him 
And I thought at the time, well, this makes sense, you know, because Wenger had so much power, he had too much power in the end. So I thought, oh, this is this is quite sensible. You build this structure, and then you slide your head coach in and out who fits into the structure. And, you know, if they do well, they stay. If they don't, you slide somebody else in. But what it proved with Emery was actually that head coach is no longer a powerful enough figure in the in the dressing room and in the club. You need you need somebody who is stronger than that. So the Emery era, he quickly lost his power, basically, and he was too concerned with how other teams played and always set up Arsenal to counter other teams, uh, which was really the opposite of what Wenger had ever done. Wenger had kind of gone, well, you know, we'll play our way, you worry about us kind of thing. Uh, so the Emery thing was quite difficult because he did become very cautious. He was unfortunate in that he put all his eggs in the Europa League basket and got to the final, because he's the Europa League specialist, and got to the final and then lost to Chelsea badly. It was all right at halftime and then it turned bad in the second half. But to, to save his team for the final, he had picked a mix and match team at home against Crystal Palace and a result that went wrong. And basically, if Arsenal won that game, they would have got fourth and had a Champions League place the following season. So he was very close to doing well. And then it went really wrong. You know, when it went wrong in back, it went really wrong. And the start of the following season, ah, they just they just couldn't do it really. And the players lost faith in him and it was really horrible. So that was that was Emery. I did say how long have you got? And then uh, <laughs> so then we had a sort of Lundberg uh, interregnum, which was just a desperate struggle. And Arteta came in and uh, did make a you know a, an impact and had fantastic success in his first season. I know that you know COVID hit and you couldn't go in, but he you know he did win the FA Cup in his first season, beating Manchester City in the semi final and Chelsea in the final. You know. Neither game of which I approached with any optimism at all. You know, I was literally sat down in front of the Man City game thinking, oh, you know, we, we, you know, we're going to get a caning here. I'm just watching it because it's the semi-final kind of thing. And I didn't approach the final with any optimism. But he produced two really, you know, excellent performances, uh, well-coached, well-drilled, good tactics and well-executed. And Aubameyang was at the absolute top of his game. Uh, so then you could think, oh, right, OK, Artesi's really sees this. He's, and then they made him manager rather than coach because he'd done so well. And then last season was just awful. You know, from October to uh, the end of October to Boxing Day, Arsenal didn't win a game in the league. And um, I think at Christmas, were, it was like two or three points above the relegation zone. It was really desperate. And we had a home game against Chelsea on Boxing Day. <laughs> He's thinking, oh, my God, we're going to lose that as well. And then it was Brighton and West Brom the following game. So we were also struggling at the time. It was like, well, look, if we really get bad results here, we're going to be in the relegation zone at New Year, you know. So it was really terrible. And remarkably, against Chelsea on Boxing Day last year, he picked Emil Smith-Rowe, got in the team, and uh, he was brilliant. And Arsenal just clicked. And he basically saved himself by finally throwing in Smith Rowe, you know, and Sakura played very well all season, actually. He'd been he'd been brave and good when the team was poor. He was still taking people on and trying to make things happen and wanting the ball, which you you know, you you know, at that young age, it's a very brave thing to do. And uh, so the season, you know, then then picked up again. Um in between times, we had the Ozil saga. How long do you want to spend on that? Oh, I mean, God, yeah. you, you know, that was just absolutely draining for the club. 
I mean, he wasn't in the cup final squad. He wasn't in the squad. <laughs> and neither was Guendouzi. I was saying, well, you know, they're paying this guy 300 grand a week or something. He's not in the squad. I mean, it was just, it was so draining. It's then they changed transfer policy. And in this, this summer, so, so last summer they'd signed William and, you know, that was just ridiculous. And David Luiz was oh, in yeah. the team. So they had, they had this, this, these guys who were getting their last paycheck kind of guys and didn't have any zip. There was nothing in their legs anymore. The team didn't have energy. So finally in the summer, they changed transfer policy and went for younger. And they've got much more energy in the team this season. Uh, the team is much more likeable. The fans are, are liking that. They can see they're trying. Um, and young players get a bit more slack from the fans, don't they? And that's definitely been the case this season. Um, but again, you know, he had a terrible start. We lost the first three games. We lost to Brentford on the first day when the squad was COVID hit, which is interesting given what's going on now, isn't it? And games being called off. And yeah. then there was, um, you know, <laughs> then there was a disastrous, uh, uh, very poor home performance against Chelsea, where Chelsea absolutely just walked it, basically. And then we got hammered at Man City. And it was like, oh, my goodness, no points for three games. And then he turned things around and picked things up. And we've, we've had a good run with, with the young players. So... Ah, it's it's been a roller coaster. As I was saying before, it's always like a, a drama with Arsenal. And I, and I think, if I'm honest, I think that's accentuated by the fact that they probably have the most prominent, most, um, I don't think, I can't really think of the word here, but Arsenal fan TV is just watched by a lot of people. And you see mm, them. Not Arsenal fans. Opinions. No, I've noticed <laughs> they're not big fans, but... It always seems like a drama and that accentuates it. And, yeah. and because, I mean, I, I grew up, my first away game was, I think it was Arsene Wenger's first or certainly the one before he was appointed. He was on the front of the programme. I remember this, we got beat 2-0. Paul Stewart got sent off and Martin Scott got sent off. Parler and John Hartson scored. And obviously, the last time I was at the Emirates, Wenger was in charge as well. I think it was an FA Cup game the day David Bowie died. I remember these days far too well for specific reasons. Um, so Wenger had been there a long, long time, but since he's left, it's felt very dramatised since then, and, and, and Arsenal's kind of almost lost sense of what I remember Arsenal to be, but just when you think things are, are kind of calm, I noticed the other week, I was like, oh, Arsenal are fifth, that's not too bad, he's pulled that back. This week, Aubameyang gets stripped of the captaincy at the club, and, and obviously, I think a lot of people would be unaware of why. What 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 were the circumstances around that, and, and what, were your, <laughs> what are your thoughts on it? <laughs> Um, well, he was given permission to go to France to visit his mother, apparently, who's mm -hmm. not been well. Um, and he had a time when he was supposed to come back and he didn't get back on time. So they're calling it a, a, a timekeeping issue. I think you know, you know, he's late for training or whatever on the, on the day he's supposed to be back. But of course, you know, for it to go like this, I mean, it's obvious this is just the latest in quite a long series of things. Uh, mm -hmm. They dropped him from the North London derby last season. Do you remember that on the day I of the do. game? He because was he for was... a few weeks, wasn't he? He kind of couldn't <laughs> get in the team for a bit. He, 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 turned, he was turning up late for the North London derby. So, I mean, you know, it's like one of the biggest games of the season. Obviously, it's an absolutely massive game for Arsenal. To leave a bang out of that was a massive call. And, you know, it actually worked. And Arsenal played quite well and won the game and Lacazette scored. And, uh, yeah, so I think it's... I, I, suspect it's a long series of things behind the scenes that we don't know about yet um and they've just you know to do what they've done is it obviously is huge because it's created it has the potential of creating another ozil situation he is halfway through his massive contract and now apparently he's not training with the first team anymore uh, he will go to the african cup of nations 
And I don't think he'll play for us before that. And then, so his next game, if he comes back, would be, you know, it depends how they do, uh, you know, late January at a guess. Um, I don't know. Are they going to be able to move him on? I, I don't I mean, there's, there's mufferings of Barcelona, but, I, you know, <laughs> they're paying yeah. him a fortune. I don't know. I mean... I mean, you feel like you felt like Gozo would move on, but he kind of sat there for a while because probably of the wage he was on. He's probably not a great player, but hasn't worked out maybe perhaps as, as much everyone wanted because he, he was at Real Madrid and he was one of the best players in the world. He came to Arsenal was very good. But then that situation happened. Aubameyang, similar stories, but big contracts because you had to pay big contracts for those players to come. So potentially you've got people sitting there on these these crazy wages. But then there's another person who it could go another way was, was Granit Saka. That happened where... As far as I remember, he was having a go at the fans. He got stripped of his captaincy, but I'm not an Arsenal fan, so I don't know the opinion, but it seems like he's sort of turned it around. So is the hope that Aubameyang could maybe turn that opinion around the same way Zaka might have done? Well, yes. I mean, for Xhaka to come back as he did, was I was at that game. It was against Crystal Palace. Uh, we'd scored early on. Uh, it was under Emery. And then Palace just... It was an unbelievably frustrating game. Palace just wasted time and wasted time and then scored <laughs> two goals and were leading. <laughs> we're leading 2-1. And I think we, we had we had an equaliser ruled out by a VAR. I can't remember quite the order of it. A really controversial VAR that wouldn't be called now. And I can't remember the quite order of it. But anyway, in this, he was substituted off and walked off slowly when we needed a goal. You know, we needed we needed energy. And he walked off slowly and the place went mad at him it was terrible I mean it really was terrible and he reacted badly understandably really and it looked like he was finished then after that to come back from that you know he threw the armband on the floor and you know all that kind of stuff and swore at the fans I mean it was pretty bad Uh, really bad Um, and he didn't apologize you know there was no public apology or anything like that Um, he felt wronged uh, he was also, Emery was playing him out of position and he was playing him too much and he was really putting a lot on him. I think he felt that he he carried the can, uh, you know, probably unfairly. But so Jacker has come back. Um, Arteta loves him, um, picks him as soon as he's fit again, he picks him. So um, he absolutely loves him. I don't know, with the Bama Yang, I'm... I'm I don't know. His work rate is better this season, but you know, these 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 guys have to run around now, don't they? You, you know, your your luxury centre forward type is high pressing, really, isn't it? Doesn't it's really exist it anymore, does it? The high pressing game, and I think that you know the managers that have came through, that especially at the level that you're playing at, obviously it's vastly different in League One, uh, vastly different. I'll, I'll have you know. I'm sure Tom's told you that. Um, <laughs> But you have to have I that think kind he of enjoys it game. more. Oh, <laughs> the novelty's worn off for me. Oh, sure it, yeah, be, fair enough. Africa, in a way, is not always the best. Sorry to pick on you, Africa, but it's, yeah, without a roof yeah, on, yeah. it's not always the best. Yeah, um, sure. I was saying that when all the games might be called off in a few weeks, maybe I'll be harking for Africa. <laughs> um, it seems, though, that, that Arsenal as a whole, there was pressure on Arteta. Um, understandably so, the Brentford defeat was the most Arsenal performance I've seen in, well, the most modern Arsenal performance I've seen in ages. I think everyone called that. And then obviously Chelsea and obviously City, maybe games you would perhaps um, expect Arsenal to lose, but then you're an Arsenal fan and you remember the the glory days not that long ago, so that adds further frustration. But it seems like the fans are behind Arteta and they're behind the decisions he's made. I think 
from what I've seen on social media, people seem to agree with that Aubameyang decision based on the information they've got. So it's the mood around Arsenal in terms of Arteta. Arteta in, essentially, or, or behind him still. <laughs> Not quite. Well, as you, <laughs> as, as you sort of allude to, really, the social media thing is very fevered, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a couple of bad results. So we lost at May United, then Everton back-to-back just recently, games we were ahead in in both of them, and really... Uh, you know, we should have definitely taken something from both of them, probably should have won both of them. Uh, and the game at Everton, the performance was feeble, feeble. And um, so when they throw in something quite as bad as that, the um, the mood, you know, changes. And But then he's got this thing where he manages to save himself. And, you know, they produce a good performance. Um, uh, oh, well, they, they, oh, they beat Newcastle, didn't they? And then they played... They played really well against Southampton and played really well against West Ham um, in what was a very tough physical game. And, you know, the, the, the crowd, I think, in the ground, the crowd is supportive of the team and is supportive of the young players. And I think because of that, you know, they are supportive of Arteta, but it, it will only take... a you know, three or four bad results. You know, the runner games over Christmas is you know Norwich and uh, Wolves, so and then it's Man City, so that'll be that'll be tough. But it, you know, so win those the easier sounding games, and the league position will be very healthy, very healthy. Um, but you know, if they don't win them, then the mood will turn again. You know, it's um, it's it's always fevered. Really, there's 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 hardly a quiet day. It's funny you came on to that because I don't think I'll ever do this, but I'm going to compare Arsenal to Sunderland, but come with me on this, right? I'm, I'm aware that the recent histories are vastly different, but um, Sunderland a lot of the time are only ever one defeat or two defeats, so a bad run away from a bit of a crisis due to where we're at, the standards that are expected at Sunderland and the fact that the fan base knows and believes that this club should be nowhere near this level, 100 years of history says we've never been this low before and we've been here for now for a fourth season. So sometimes when you're not, or sometimes when you're not, you're not winning for two or three or, or, or losing two games or having a heavy defeat, naturally that there's, there's anger there. And I've touched on recent history there. And obviously my favorite player of all time, that is not a Sunderland player is Dennis Bergkamp. And that's because of how talented he was, how great he was. You think of Overmars and Elko in these early days, Van Persie, there's so many players you can pick as you could pretty much pick 11 players as the greatest Arsenal team ever you've got the Invincibles you've got all of that so there's a lot of really good recent history and I thought you know when Arsenal go on a bad run as you touched it can turn completely on its head in the same way that Sunderland can in League One is there a similarity there between where Sunderland found themselves in League One based on recent history and the mood of the fans sometimes to where Arsenal find themselves in the Premier League based on the fact that they've been winning championships continuously with really good teams recently is there a comparison to be made between the pair? Well, I, yes, I, yes, on the face of it, there is, isn't there? You know, sort of the, not doing as well as they have done recently. Both clubs would could, could say that. I, I think what has happened has been. I, I do think the the post Van era, as we talked about earlier, was difficult and was always going to be difficult. I think it's gone on being difficult for longer than I thought it would. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do think the rejuvenation of the team now. And the younger players, you know, you look at Saka, Smith Rowe, Martinelli, um, Odegaard's young 20s as well. You know, they brought in Ramsdale in goal. I mean, he's he is a real character. 
and you know high fives the defenders after a block and all this kind of thing and it also makes some incredible saves yeah he's he was our player of the month for the last two months running which is great for him but i never think it's a terribly good sign when your goalkeeper is player of the month no. <laughs> like for two two months running um so he, you know people have got behind him and um the, the other signings they've got you know tommy yasu's coming at right back tough as nails fullback you know a proper really physical kind of guy and uh, Gabriel's playing really well in the centre of defence. Ben White has been a good signing. And I mean, there'd be Phil, Sambi Lakonga's coming. He's not playing so much now because Xhaka's back. Uh, Nuno Tavares kept Kirantini out at left back for a while. You know, young, energetic players. And I and I, I do think the sort of, you know, where the crowd might have turned and was sighing and frustrated and, you know, maybe booing in previous years when the older players, the players we talked about, your Louise, your William, your Mkhitaryan, your Licksteiners were playing, you couldn't really see a way forward with them. But you can see a way forward with these people. And I, I think the mood actually has changed um, quite a lot now in the ground. In terms of positives out the club, you've, you've brought me on fantastically to that. I've been really lucky enough to, to see England four or five games this term at Wembley and during the Euros and Obviously, so Saka during those. I've seen Smith Roney's debut against uh, Albania, and obviously living a kick in the backside away from Hamden. I've seen Kieran Tierney up quite close quite a few times. Um, the youth of Arsenal seem to be blossoming. I've only picked out three names there. You picked out sort of four or five. How good are the likes of Saka and Smith Rowe? Because obviously we see bits and pieces and, and we see games here or there, but you watch them every week. How good can they be? Oh, well, I mean, they're, they're extremely good now. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, the, the, the pitfalls are, you know, injuries getting overplayed, all this, you know, the, the usual, usual kind of caveats. And Saka does get kicked a lot on the pitch, by the way. He does get fouled a lot. Um, he's an absolutely excellent player. He's very brave, very skillful, takes people on. Um, you know, gets he gave Masuaku a really tough time against West Ham, <laughs> really tough time, very enjoyable it was. Um, um, Smith, Smith Rowe came on as a sub, he's had to sit on the bench for a few games. Uh, uh, he brings a bit of chaos. Uh, the, the team is very structured um, under Arteta, and you know, the players have to get in the right positions and then the moves happen, kind of thing. And it can be a bit, a bit plonky, you know, a bit you know, a bit programmed and teams can see it coming in. Um, but he does bring a bit of chaos. He can surprise people and pass and run. And uh, he's extremely good. Uh, Martinelli is, I mean, like really exciting, really. Um, scored that fantastic goal against Newcastle. You may have seen the volley. He's got a great goal against West Ham. I did see that goal. I must admit. Not yeah. There. I mean, enjoyed it as well. Yeah. <laughs> he is a really exciting player. Um, powerful, fast. Um, Arteta's just talked actually this past week about him. You know, he was always a 100 mile an hour player. Everything he did was 100 miles an hour. Arteta's talked about him learning to play with through the gears a bit more. Um, you know, so not everything has to happen quite so fast. So, I mean, yeah, he's... It's the, the attacking young attacking players are, you know, really good. You think they're all around 20, early 20s, whatever they are. You know, if they stick together, I know it's if, but, you know... Um, that would be fantastic, really fantastic. Smith was really exciting. Obviously, we were 5 0 up at the time he came on against Albania, but he was, you were kind of expecting almost a drab second half, and it was in many senses. But when he got the ball, it was, he reminded me very much of a, a very young Jack Grealish, not just because he has those kind of low socks that he wears, but he has that kind of 
chaos as you said it occasionally he'll come on he'll want to take people on and and that's kind of what you pay for i think isn't it yeah he's he's he is good to watch and um he combines extremely well with saka i mean you know they, they've grown up together played in the arsenal youth teams come through the academy together they do combine it you know ex- extremely well um he's got eye for goal as well he's, he's he's scored a few goals this season from midfield which is something we would absolutely crying out for um so you know, in terms of the end product, the end the end product is is now there as well as the sort of thrill and the excitement you get from watching him. So yeah, he's uh, he's a really good player. Is that how Arsenal fans see? And obviously, everyone has a different opinion, so it's not a hive mind. But is that how Arsenal fans see them getting back to the, the glories of, of recent years by essentially nurturing the, the youth and continuing to produce players like that, and then bring in in the summer the likes of. Um, Odegaard players that are still young and have room to grow and add that to that bunch that you've nurtured from the academy? I hope so. I really hope so. I mean, I I really hope the days of the 29-year-old getting their last big paycheck are over. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, it's not been fruitful. They, it was, they thought it was a shortcut to get back in the top four. That's why they did it. They thought they would get it. Oh, we'll get there this season. We'll get there this season. Uh, it, but it, it, it's not how you build, is it? Um so yes, the academy has been producing a stream of players. This, you know, this Eddie, Eddie and Ket is on the fringes. I, I doubt mm-hmm. he's going to make it at Arsenal, but they will get a transfer fee for him. Uh, they've got Flo Balogun, who's another young striker who's on the fringes as well. Um, so the, the problem we've had this season is that we haven't had European football of any kind. So your you, you fringe players, you know, so it was Europa League or even Conference League, like Tottenham had. Um, you know, your fringe players would be playing in those games. That's how, you know, and Ketty's got a good record in the Europa League. Um, so we haven't had those games. So those guys just haven't been playing. The fringe players just haven't been playing. Um, but yes, definitely, to build on the young players coming through and sign early to mid-20s as your signings, who, who would, if, you know, you hope they stay and have a successful career, but if they don't work out, they will have a resale value. And, you know, if they do well, then maybe, they'll, you know, you'll sell them for more money. But I would definitely. And also, it's just on the age profile, you need energy in the Premier League. You know, you need gas. You've got to get up and down the pitch. I mean, they signed Nuno Tavares and he played, um, he's very exciting uh, left back. He did kick Kiratini out of the side for a while and he will get his chance again because Tini's quite injury prone. Um mm-hmm. But um, he's, he is an elite athlete. I mean, he is up and back in the last five minutes of the game, having been doing it for the previous 85. You know, so I, I mean, I really enjoy seeing that energy in the team again. We spoke about a lot of the, the, the good players that are in the team and, and the players and the, and the positives that have come with Arsenal. And there's, there's lots of them still, of course. Um, so hopefully none of them play on Tuesday if the game goes ahead. Um, but how likely are we to see that Arteta will go full strength or do you think you'll change things up on, on Tuesday? <laughs> well, I have been giving this some thought ahead of speaking to you. So um, I looked at the teams that we played earlier in the in the competition, and they because of this issue we just touched on of the fringe players not getting games, and so the the major guys you would think actually they put the fringe players in these big cup teams, but uh, you know Abamian got a hat trick at West Brom in round two, you know, so that was a bit of a weird one. Um, you know, Lacazette, Smith, Rowe and Ketty have scored um, against Wimbledon. Um, and Ketty has scored against Leeds, Chambers. I, it dep- I mean, it, 
it's difficult to say, isn't it? Because if we're heading for a, a lockdown or football pausing or, or something over Christmas, then Arteta may go, well, this is the last throw of the dice. These guys might as well run, run around again, you know? Or if you think actually, um, you know, Norwich on Boxing Day, Wolves on the 28th, Man City on the 1st, that's a big, obviously a big run of games close together, then you will see a massively changed team. So I don't know who the goalkeeper would be because Leno's been injured. Um, he's now the backup because Ramsdale's done so well. So I'm not sure who playing goal, but your fullback might be Cedric Suarez, who played a lot of games last season. Rob Holding and Pablo Marine might be the centre backs. You know, they played a lot of games last season in the Premier League. I would think Tavares maybe fullback. Say Kalasinac is still at the club. You might have forgotten him. He could play uh, midfield. Maybe El Nenny. He's not playing at the moment. Lacongra hasn't played for a few games. Maybe those two. Maybe the Niles will definitely feature somewhere. I would think Nicolas Pepe will play because he hasn't, he's hardly run a leg in, you know, he's been sitting on the bench for weeks. I mean, 72 million pounds, by the way. Um, <laughs> he's been on the bench. I would think Nketiah will play. And then, you know, maybe one of Smith Rowe's Sacro, the guard, you know, I, I'm not sure. But uh, maybe Balogun, maybe. Uh, but my, it's a long answer, isn't it? Sorry. My, no, the, my, no, the, my... the, it's just frightening. The more the name, the corner, I'm thinking, even under strength, Arsenal sounds slightly better than what we've got, sadly. But my, my guess would be would be that sort of team that I've just outlined. That would be my guess. But I mean, it's really only a guess. My favourite question to ask every guest, but it's going to be different in this sense because it's the first Premier League guest I've had on since I've sort of started the show about two years ago. Sunderland's had a very bad couple of seasons we've been on a downward trajectory we've been in league one for four years we historically have never been here and it, and it does feel awful sometimes we've had an all right season so far we feel like we might get out of it but from the outside looking in as someone who obviously watches a lot of football yourself what have you made of Sunderland's downfall since we we fell out of the Premier League oh man it's so difficult isn't it once you fall out of the Premier League it is so difficult um I, don't, I suppose the year you got relegated out of the oh, you I mean you'll know this far better than me was that the year you got relegated out of the championship was, I mean, you'd been on the fringes of going down for the Premier League for quite a while, hadn't you? And, you know, it was kind of survival yeah. stuff. And it was all, you know, it was it was harem scaring, wasn't it, all the way. And then did you go straight down through the championship? Or did you? Yeah, we yeah. plummeted. Basically, yeah. Allardyce went to England. Things were rosy. Allardyce went to England. We got David Moyes, less about that, the best. And, and then obviously the season after that, we got Grayson, who left after three months. And then we got Coleman, who just couldn't fix it and we, no. just, we fell straight through yeah that was the year wasn't it he, he did i remember now yes he he didn't to an outsider like myself it he looked like he just didn't have any idea how to fix it how to stop you how to stop the slide and mm -hmm. to my eyes that was the season because it's just obviously a disaster to get out of the championship isn't it and yeah. you know and then you've had ownership things haven't you and all and mm -hmm. you know all the, all the rest of it. Are you, are you pleased with how it's settled now? Um, I don't know. I, I think when it comes to Sunderland, and there'll be a lot of listeners that might resonate with this as well, I, I think that when you look at what's happened in recent history with Stuart Donald and the fact that not everything seemed as cosy or, or as it should have been with that, and, and Charlie Methven, and you look at the, the Netflix documentary as well, that opened and shed a lot of light on a lot of things. I think it's quite easy for Sunderland fans to have trust issues with anybody new coming in, be that a manager, be that a chairman, be that a chief exec, be that a new player. You, you kind of expect the worst because we've hoped for better than the worst and got the worst every time. So I think in normal circumstances and nothing in the world is normal at the moment, um, 
I would probably think things are fine. Like it, it seems this new boss in charge seems okay. Like Kirill seems fine. He seems to have money, comes from a good background. But then there's the worry of how much does he actually own the football club, which has been a, a long running saga in the past few months and past few weeks. So there's always something with something that makes you feel a little bit uneasy. Is, is the short answer, I think. But but if we get promoted, win games, getting back into the championship and start some sort of upward trajectory, then yes. And it, and it feels very nice to be speaking about a game against Arsenal um, mm. in the quarterfinal of a, of a cup competition, mm. even though we're not the favourites. It does feel quite nice to speak about going to a big stadium because we've had to come through four rounds to get here. It hasn't been sort of just a lucky draw. So it does feel quite nice, yes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, do you, do you look at... I mean, what do you think the long-term is? What do you, what do you hope for the long-term? Um, I mean, my predominantly, I, I followed my first season ticket would have been 1997. My first game was 93. So I've been used to being rubbish in the championship. I can get used to that. But I think um, I think for, for me, we've always been a, a team that could compete in the Premier League when we've got things in the right place. I think worst case scenario, we're a very good championship, very, very good championship side historically over the past few years since I've been born. We've won it three or four times. I'd like to just get out of this league and, and then kind of reassess, but I've, I've very much enjoyed the recruitment this year. We've signed, much like you mentioned with Arsenal, young, hungry players. We brought in Sirkin from Spurs. We brought in Huggins from Leeds, who's unfortunately been injured an awful lot. Um, we've brought in Broadhead on loan from Everton. All young, hungry players with things to prove. Uh, Ross Stewart's been really good this season, 24 from Ross County. So the, the recruitment seemed to be in the right place. And I think ultimately Sunderland's downfall, there's many reasons for it, but comes down to recruitment, which you can give many reasons behind why the recruitment was bad. But ultimately the, the, the problem's been recruitment and that seems to have fixed a little bit. Yes, we've got young boys that make mistakes and occasionally we're born bad runs, but the recruitment seems in the right place. I think if we stay on that trajectory and, and yes, there'll be one or two that don't work out, you would hope, you would hope that we get back to at least around about where we normally are, which is high level championship. But um, you've got to be in the Premier League these days, don't you? Yeah, I mean, you do. But, you know, as you all know, you get there and you have quite a bruising experience, don't you? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but but then I think things like for, for northeast football, especially, I don't like to say it, but the derbies and things like that are like for me is like the hotbed of, of northeast football and the hotbed yeah. of of a lot of Premier League football for me, it's that, and there'll be plenty of people who disagree with me on that, and obviously I've got a bias, but I think it's the biggest derby outside of Rangers and, and Celtic. I think it's massive. Um, mm. Well, you might be meeting them next season. Well, in the Championship, that's the yeah. hope, yes. <laughs> yeah. But it, it does make me think, when the draw came out, in terms of how we've been doing and how we've done in the Cup and, and, and the way Arsenal sometimes play, I thought, you know, Arsenal away is the one club out of the big teams that I think something could actually shock. But from an Arsenal perspective, do you genuinely worry about this game that something could cause a shock? I think Arsenal will be focused enough to do a professional job. Um, the, the caveat to that is, the, the, if it is the backup guys that I outlined, you know, they haven't played together, really. Mm -hmm. and, and you see that during the game, you know, the automatic things that should be happening just don't. Everyone's thinking a bit too much. Where do I run? Who do we know? All the rest of it. I'm looking for a pass. I can't see one. You know, all that stuff. Everything that should happen fast doesn't happen quite as fast as it should do. So that that would be my that would be my concern. Um, we are better. We 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 find it slightly easy. I don't, I don't want to say we find anything easy actually, but against teams where we can break and move the ball fast, we're better than if you 
sit on the edge of your box and pack it, we will struggle to break that down. I have a feeling we might do that. I think we might have to. Um, but yeah. score prediction is out always. I'm terrible at this. I get like yeah. one or two right a season. But I, currently I'm going to the game. Obviously, we don't know how things may change. And obviously, I'm nervous about that. But I do think we'll lose 3-0. I don't really go against... I rarely go against my team, but I, I just can't see it. Um, it's nice to get this far at the level we're at at the moment. But I do think... Arsenal 3-0, but my final question for you, Julian, what, what's your score prediction if you have had a push you for one? I, I think maybe 2-0. I am absolutely appalling at predicting scores, by the way. <laughs> I just, I mean, we don't beat teams very easily. <laughs> you know, it just doesn't happen. Um, you know, and Sunderland obviously will be up for what is a huge game. Um, and as I say, if I think if the team is not quite, um, you know, having played as a team before, I think that will have an effect. However, there are quite a lot of good players still in that team who are capable of finding the net. So, uh, you know, I, I, I suspect it will be a hard-fought game. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, or at least I was before this happened. But fingers crossed the game's on. Um, thanks so much for joining me. Uh, really good chat. Thanks to everyone for tuning in, as always. Obviously, I hope you enjoyed the show as well. Did a, a little midweek one for a change. Um, or for a midweek game, but do subscribe. Obviously, I think quite close to the thousand or whatever. It's all right if you don't want to, but thanks for listening anyway. But Julian, thanks very much for joining me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much. Thank you.